yourself is less, much less destructive um, than pillow fights with a bunch of people, but uh, not as fun either. Um, a good morning again to everyone. Special welcome again to our guests. And why I say that is uh, here at Bethlehem, we have a gold insert in your service folder. And uh, guests, you may not know this, but it's a real good help for you in following along. In fact, do you like it when your pastor gives you New Year's, New Year's resolutions? I can just kind of do that, and you can do with it what you want. But one of the things I'd like to see in the New Year is if more and more people would take the opportunity to fill in the blanks, as I know that it'll be something that will you'll remember it more, and that's what it's all about, right? Continuing to grow in our understanding of what uh, God has done for us and, and His direction. So just a little plug for that. For a really long time, um, the United States has been the envy of people all across the world. And one of the things that I think people tend to envy about the United States is that it's a place where a, a normal regular, even maybe less than regular person can go and make something of his life or make something of her life. And that with hard work and determination, no matter what circumstances you were born into or what type of financial situation you were in or it doesn't even just have to be financial, whatever circumstances you were in, that there's an opportunity here to have your future be different than your present. In fact, sometimes, not just in our country, but outside of our country, that's called the American dream. The American dream, where you can pursue life, liberty, and, and then also that pursuit of happiness. And so there's example after example after example in our country of people who have gone from, so to speak, rags to riches, have made something different about their life. I'm going to give you uh, an example of this. In the mid-1800s, there was a boy who was born into some pretty difficult circumstances. Um, he was born in the state of New York. And, and difficult circumstances in part because his, his father, who was by trade a lumberman, was also known to be quite the con artist and also known to sort of uh, cheat often on this boy's mother, this father's wife. And so there were times in this boy's life where his dad would just disappear, be gone for weeks. They wouldn't know where he was. Mom was left at home to try to figure out how to keep this boy and his five siblings together, provide for them, and to keep some stability at home. Well, as the boy grew, he didn't want that for his family. He didn't want that for his life. And he had an opportunity to change it, and, and that's what he did. He worked hard. He made some, some good decisions financially. And when he died, he was one of the, the richest people who ever lived. In fact, when he died, his net worth was 10% of our entire country's gross domestic product. Anyone have an idea who I'm talking about? You can just blurt it out if you have an idea. Here's a hint, Standard Oil. Another hint, Big Christmas Tree, New York City. Yeah, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller. Yeah. This pursuit of happiness, this, you know what? I can do it if I put my mind to it type of attitude. This entrepreneurial, this, um, I'll use the word autonomous, independent spirit. 
is something that's in the fiber of many, most Americans. I can do it on my own. I can do it on my own. I, I don't need anyone, and if I make it on my own, then I don't need to sort of respond to anyone or be accountable to anyone. I can do what I want. And you know what? There is some good things about that type of attitude, the attitude of putting your mind to something, being determined. I know you. We have a lot of people that have that gift, and it is a gift to be determined, to be goal-orientated. But here's what I want to say to that autonomy that some of us are striving for. It has a short shelf life, and you will never find the purpose, meaning, or happiness you're looking for in autonomy or in independence or being away from the group. Yes, for a while it's kind of nice. I'd like to get away. But I'm telling you, it will never bring you the purpose or happiness that you think it will. And the same thing is true with being a Christian. God has created us to be a group. He's created us to find our true happiness and true purpose, not in autonomy and independence, but together. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So our first fill-in is this, autonomy. That, that's a big word. In fact, you know, I needed to look it up, but I like it. Autonomy won't bring, that's independence, won't bring true happiness or purpose, won't bring true purpose or happiness to your life. True happiness is found in doing life together, and that's the theme of this series. Um, hopefully, most all of you who are members of Bethlehem got an email from me last week. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon yet, I'd still very much encourage you to do that. I've heard the volume is quite low, so you'll have to blare, you know, boom it up. But um, I think the content of what we learned from God's Word last week in Hebrews will make a huge difference in your growing faith life. This mutual support and encouragement that God has intended for us makes a huge, huge difference. And remember what I said last week. Your spouse is not enough. That's where you start. But we need people outside of that. Men need other men for Christian accountability. Women need other women for accountability who understand certain things that the opposite gender may not quite understand or situations like that. This week, we get to talk about the, the purpose that we have together. And to do that, we're turning to a letter that Paul wrote to some Christians in Corinth. Now, Corinth was probably, in that time, uh, one of the dirtiest, yuckiest, morally bankrupt cities that there was. Um, you know, take Las Vegas and make it worse, okay? Um, it was very hard to be a Christian in Corinth. It was very easy to get into trouble. And a lot of these attitudes came into the Corinthian congregation that were in the culture. And Paul writes a lot about some of the things that they were facing. One of the things they were struggling with is kind of ranking people. And that certain people who had certain gifts look, were looked upon as being better than other people who had other gifts. And so Paul writes to them about this. And in fact, he uses, I don't know if he was just trying to get 
you know, memorable point across or if he actually was trying to be humorous. But I read these words and, and they're humorous to me. I, I pray that I can share the truth and maybe also share a little bit of that, that humor with you so that you can remember the point that we're going to get at. But before we go to verse 12, I want to start in verse 27 as it's kind of the, the culmination, the overall umbrella for all that we're going to talk about in the other verses. Here's what Paul writes. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Here's what Paul says. He says that you are the physical body of Christ. And you're like, no, I'm not. I'm not the body of Christ. Christ has a body. He walked around on the earth. He slept in a boat sometimes when he got tired. He was beaten. He died. In fact, he still has a body because he rose from the dead. I'm not the body of Christ. So what's Paul saying? Well, let me ask. Christ is with us. Do you see him? I haven't. You are the physical body of Christ here on this earth. Like me? I am, no, not you singular. You, Paul uses the word, the you plural. You as a group are the body of Christ. You are the hands and the feet and the mouth and the ears and the eyes of Jesus. You not individually, but us. You plural are Christ's presence on the earth. And without us being the body of Christ, Christ has no presence on the earth. Not the way he intended it. If we just let that sink in for a moment, that I'm the body of Christ, I'm the part of the body of Christ, that in and of itself changes perspective on purpose, happiness, and autonomy. Paul, so our, our second fill-in is this. Christians, together, are the body, the hands, feet, eyes, and ears of Christ on earth. Christians are the body of Christ on earth. When did that happen? Let's go to verse 12. Now that we've got this umbrella statement. The body, he's talking here about, you know, think of your body. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, and they need to work together, right? So it is with Christ, or what he's meaning there, so it is with the church. For we were all baptized by one spirit into that one body, whether Jews or Greeks. Now, this means nothing to us, that statement, whether Jews or Greeks, 2,000 years later. But 2,000 years ago, this was a huge thing. Because what Paul is saying is, you, you Jews who think that you're better than everyone else because you are God's chosen people, and yes, they were given this blessing of having the Savior come from their family, but they took that and they manipulated it to this idea of being superior to anyone who wasn't a Jew. He's saying, you're not better than anyone. You're part of one body. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, whether you're from Minnesota or Wisconsin. You're all the same. Or even Iowa, 
slave or free. Another part of scripture, it says male or female. We're all given the one spirit to drink. When we were born, we weren't a part of the body. Sin separated us from the body. When you became part of the body, for most of us, maybe not all of us, well, for all of us, it's when we came to faith. For most of us, we came to faith where Paul says in verse 13, when we were baptized. That at our baptism, Christ's payment for sin became our payment for sin. Christ's victory over death became our victory over death. And at our baptism, as we came to faith, that whole idea of autonomy went out the window. Because not only were you saved, you were joined. For a Christian, it's not a choice of whether you're joined or part of the body or not. If you are a Christian, Paul says, you have responsibility towards each other and as the body of Christ. I think there's this dichotomy to faith that is really important to understand and that Paul gets to here. Faith is very personal. You can't be saved because you grew up in a Christian household. You can't be saved because your parents are Christian. You can't be saved because you had a grandfather who built a church and your family was the backbone for generations of that church. Great, that's awesome. It doesn't do anything for your salvation. That's why it's so cool to see so many young families bringing their children to church or to fusion or to both because your children, my children, will not be saved because of my faith. My faith will help be a tool to get them hear the gospel. But faith is personal. You know what's not personal, though? The faith life is not personal. That faith is personal, but the faith life is something that God intended us to do together and as a body. That we have this awesome unity at our baptisms given to us with other Christians, with, with people all over the world. I was baptized 30 years ago or so, a little more than that, I'll be honest, 36 and a half years ago, all right? And I didn't know any of you. You didn't know me. But I was connected to you that day, even though I didn't know you, as the body of Christ. Paul goes on, explains a little bit more. Here's where I think Paul is kind of a humorous guy inspired by the Lord. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. Imagine your foot talking, right? I mean, I can imagine hand puppets, but feet, I mean, what do you move, right? So first of all, a foot talking, and then what is the foot saying? The foot's complaining that it's a foot. It's like, you know, it stinks to be a foot. <laughs> I mean, you walk around on me all day long. You always cover me up. And I hear what you say about me. You're always like, no one should see my feet. They're so ugly, you know. I mean, hand, now that's glamorous. You put your wedding ring on it. What do you do to me? Just walk on me. 
In fact, I mean, wouldn't it be nice sometime, body, if you'd, you know, put out your foot sometime and shake with your foot? You're always shaking with your hand. And, and how ridiculous, right? The foot. Start complaining. Oh, because I'm not a hand. I'm not a part of the body. Now, does the foot have a different role? Yeah. Try living your life without feet. Foot's important. Verse 16 is similar. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. Now, how ridiculous with our body. Like, the ear doesn't get how important it is. I mean, it's good to see. It's important to hear. How ridiculous, right? But yet we do this. We look at other people and we do more quietly complaining about what we don't have in our lives or the gifts that we don't have than what we do have. It's like the foot saying, I'm not good for anything. I wish I could sing like them. I wish I could play like them. I wish I could work with kids like her. I wish I could lead like him. I wish I could fix things. I really do. I wish I could fix things. And we can do this over and over and over again. And is it okay to grow in our gifts? Yeah. But what are we doing? Are we spending more time complaining inwardly about what we don't have or growing that and appreciating that which we do? I look around here. For most everyone here, I could point out in a second one of your gifts. And you have more than what I could even mention. I love what the psalmist says, and I think teenagers need to hear this the most because there's just that awkward time of teenage or dumb that, um, that is difficult in trying to find confidence in who you are. Writes the psalmist that we're wonderfully created, that God has knit us together in our mother's womb. There's no one like you. Yeah, there's some people that have some of the same gifts like you, but the combination of gifts that you have, the, the experiences that you have that influence how you act or react, there's not a single person here that is exactly the same or out there. And we need to cherish that as individuals and to recognize how wonderful that is. So I'm a foot. I'll be the best foot that I can be. So I'm a, a hand. I'll be a hand. In fact, in verse 22, it's not on the screen, but in verse 22, I love what Paul writes. He says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, in this case, not as important, I love this word, they are indispensable. Means the body won't work as well without it. Every body part is important, and for the body of Christ to work, you're important. Your gifts are needed. Your gifts are needed in the body. Your gifts are needed in the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Now, again, I just find this humorous, like, because I think about it too much. Like, you know, there's like this eye, and that the whole body, I mean, 
you know, not many dates to the high school prom if your whole body were an eye, right? I mean, that would just be weird and, and, and look weird, right? Um, and yes, the, the, the eye is important, but the, the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Here's the point. If everybody in the world and in Christ's church were the same, we couldn't do that which God has given us to do. I mean, think about it. What if we all got together and we voted on what was the best gift that, you know, we all wanted, all right? The most glorious, best, whatever it is, gift, all right? And that everyone got that. How horrible that would be. It'd be like an eye walking around. Well, it couldn't walk because it wouldn't have feet, right? So the body needs all of its parts. You need fingers and toes and even fingernails and eyelashes and eyelids and all of it for the body to work. So you have these two groups of people, and you and I probably teeter-totter back and forth in both of them. You have this group of people that Paul addresses that were, were so down about how God had gifted them. And God, God's saying, you're part of the body. You're important. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Then you have this other part. And again, we may be teeter-totter that's kind of like, you know, I'm pretty big stuff. I'm an eye. I don't need anyone. I mean, I'm an eye. I'm, I'm, I'm delicately made. No one can figure exactly how the eye works. I mean, it, it is just awesome. Yeah, Mr. Eyeball, how are you going to put your contacts in? Well, I guess I need hands in the morning. How are you going to get your contacts out? Okay, I guess I need hands in the evening then. All right, Mr. Eyeball, you want to look at the same thing every day, 24 hours, or do you want feet to move you? The eyeball is important. We need the body. You, no matter what your gift is, fill in the blank number four, you need the gifts of the body. Autonomy has a short shelf life. You might be happy for a little while, but you're not fulfilling the purpose that God has given you, and you're not going to find the happiness that God wants for you unless you are being the body of Christ. Verse 18. In fact, God has arranged the parts. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you don't really, you try to think about how God has this big old master plan, and you can't even fathom it. But it's true. God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wants them to be. So here, here's a truth of this. You're here on purpose. Your gifts are needed here in this church and in this community. You aren't here by accident. God has arranged you. It's strategic. You're needed. Your gifts are needed. Working together with other Christians to accomplish the work that God has given us to do together. Now, I was thinking of a way to sort of make this memorable. And, you know, sometimes if the pastor or the, the teacher has something that, an object that can just help nail it down, it's something you'll remember for a while. So, 
here's what I did. I figured, you know, we're talking about body parts. Called up White Funeral Home. Got to know them a little bit over the years. And um, asked them if I could borrow something, okay? So the one warning is, I don't know if everyone wants to see um, what's under the cloth. Um, if you're squeamish or if you, um, you know, yeah, you're squeamish or, or you might be nauseous, you know, maybe you just want to go like this, you know, kind of slowly. But uh, here's, uh, here's what uh, I borrowed as we're talking about um, body parts. Nice, huh? Now, I'm going to tell you, it's illegal to have a real hand, so that's not real. <laughs> <laughs> But you're going to remember it, aren't you? Right, exactly. It's a, this is a, just a rubber hand. Got at a uh, toy store with a straw propping it up against here so it looks good. Um, a hand by itself is weird, isn't it? I mean, I stand out by the doorway put out my hand, you shake it. I stand back there with this and say, shake my hand, and you wouldn't do it. Because a hand disconnected to the body is gross, it's weird. It, a hand disconnected to the body doesn't fulfill its purpose, and it's just weird. A hand needs a body. You get my point? You need the body. And you are not fulfilling what God has intended for you unless you're connected to the body. You want to be this or this? Thought so. And the cool thing is, you can connect. God put people in your life, 600 of them. And for mutual encouragement, for um, uh, accountability, and also to do the work together that a lone hand couldn't do, we connect. You don't have to be in a group. If you don't have that in your life, you need to be, you should be. You might have it in other ways in your life, but we together as the body of Christ have work to do. As I mentioned before our Ephesians lesson, somewhere along the line, Christians got the wrong idea about church and, and that church is to be viewed primarily as a place where, where the pastor serves you. And I want to start by saying um, that is why I am here. And you never once need to feel a pause for a moment to call or email me with something that you need, okay? But I also want to say this, and these are more for times where you're not in an emergency and those types of things. Um, when I, when I came here 10 years ago, I was called to serve, uh, at that time, about 100 people. Now, it's the, the same, same person, and we have over 600 people. And I just like to ask the, the question that sometimes I struggle with. Can one person, and sometimes two, and there's other staff, but still, I take ownership of being pastor. Can I serve 600 people in the exact same way that I served 100 people? Can anyone do that? And you know, you know the answer to that. But the good news is, I don't need to. Because we have 500 more people to serve each other. We just need to be connected to each other. We just need to be the body. Okay, so what do you want me to sign up for? I'm not saying that. 
today. <laughs> There's a list of things in the bulletin without sign-ups. It's just, okay, here's, here's what we have at Bethlehem. Here's our ways. That's not about that today. Here's what it's about. Someone you see in the body of Christ is hurting. Don't wait for the pastor to ask you. Call them. Someone needs encouragement. Someone just had something great happen to them. Don't think, that was awesome. Tell them. Be the hands and feet. And I see this happen all the time here. We can do it more. You don't need me. I'm here to equip you. You're the hands and feet. If you just had the mouth, <laughs> well, it's kind of like just a hand. It's pretty weird and gross, right? But together, we are the body of Christ. So here's the application. How do you be the body privately? How do you pastor to people in this congregation outside of your family? And think about the things that this church can do together. What an awesome, wonderful body it will be as we continue to do that which we've already done, but do it more and do it better. Our last fill in the body of Christ needs you to connect your gifts. Let's pray.